Nar, y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> I do like that. We're going to dig into some good stuff today. I just ask you to pray with me, Lord, as we gather together, you're, you're present, and that's your promise. These are words that uh, are hard words, but good words, particularly for our tribe. And I'm just going to ask that you, you be with us and, and amidst us as we think about just how relevant uh, words you spoke uh, through Paul into Rome are for our day. Lord God, bless this time we spend together. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. Amen. Go to chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to pick you back up there. We're talking about wrath, and um, I, I happen to know for a fact that wrath is not a popular subject in our world today. Um, when we picture God, God is always pictured in our culture as loving and kind and gracious and good. And when you, when you say to someone, but our God is a wrathful God, they almost look at you like, what did you just say? God is, is not wrathful. God is loving and kind and good. I'm going to contend that part of God's love is wrath. Part of God's love is wrath. And that's, that's really what Paul is trying to say here because he's speaking into a culture that very much like, like ours has not just drifted away from God, but has gotten to a place where uh, what God abhors is called normal and acceptable. And uh, I think about this all the time, just watching our, our culture. Think about, listen, we, we've come to a point in America where what God abhors is called normal and natural. So what is, what is God doing? Just sitting up in heaven saying, oh, well, I guess the world has gone crazy. No, he, he is a God who loves people enough to, to, to actually, through his, his spirit, enact in our lives things that cause pain. And the purpose of that pain is not, I'm punishing you, per se. The, pun, the, the purpose of pain is to, to cause a person to, to recognize, I, I'm in a bad place. I'm not where I should be. I need to come back to God. And that's what Paul is trying to say as he speaks into the church in Rome that has to go out into this culture uh, with the gospel. So go to verse 18. Let's just read that, uh, that first part again. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Um, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. In, in other words, you can, you can see it. You, you can visibly see it happening. Um, this is kind of interesting to me. Uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So, so what is that? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So first is the word against. And actually, uh, the term that's used here in Greek is epi, which means to surround. All right, so... There's a sense in which God says, as I look at the world, I'm not just over here, over here, over here. I, I, I see all that's going on. And I'm going to bring my wrath into something that I see happening amongst men, namely ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness has at its core the idea of, I, I reject the idea that you made me God and set me apart for yourself. I reject that. 
you, I, I'm my own God. I'm, I'm, I don't belong to you. Nobody owns me. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody has control over my life. I decide what's right. I decide what's wrong. Um, when you read Colossians and Paul talks about creation and identifies the fact that, that Jesus is, is working in creation, he literally says that Jesus Christ made us for himself. He made us for himself. I belong to him. I'm his. I'm his. Uh, when, the, when we get to the Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, uh, and Jesus returns, the imagery that's used there is the imagery of a bride and a groom. In other words, when I come back, I'm the groom coming for my bride, that's you. Thus, in heaven, we, we're not married. You don't take your marriage into heaven. You, you, you have only one lover, and that's the love of your life. That's God for eternity. And so there's this sense in which, no, I reject that. I'm going to push, push that away. I'm, I'm my own. You, you don't own me. I, I don't belong to you. I'm my own person. That's ungodliness. His wrath is being revealed against ungodliness. It's being revealed against. I'm pushing you away. God says, I, I want to draw you near me. And if it takes wrath, if it takes pain in your life, I'm going to use that, that pain in your life. It's being revealed against all unrighteousness. What does it mean to be right with God? Um, and so the things that I do in my life that, that separate me from him, his wrath, again, is going to be used. Uh, and and this, is, this is kind of the kicker that I think is, is really interesting. In our unrighteousness, what are we doing, us human beings? Well, the word here is suppress. We're suppressing the truth, okay? Um, and it's interesting to me that the, the actual term here is kat ekotan, and kat uh, means against, Echo means to hold on to. And if you kind of put the two together, you have this sense in which uh, what's happening is God, God is, God is saying, I'm, I'm coming. I really want you to come to me, and we're pushing that away. We're pushing him away, pushing him away. And I kind of compare it to what happened uh, to me when I was a, a kid, and told my mom and dad, I want a guitar for Christmas. And I got that guitar, and it was it was a steel string thing because, hey, hey, with the monkeys. Anyone remember the monkeys? I thought they were cool. I'm going to play that song. And so I got that guitar. I'm going to learn how to play that song. And I started going, oh, holy smokes, does that hurt. And pretty soon my parents were like, where's your guitar? I put it away. <laughs> Why? Because it hurts. They're like, no, you got to build calluses on your hands. What's a callus? Well, start playing it for a while, and you'll find out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they made me take lessons now, and like, now my fingers got... I think when we're pushing God away, what's happening is the, the, the calluses that we have on our hands, you can see. The callus on your heart, you can't. We harden our hearts. The more I push, the more I push, the more I push, I'm hardening my heart against God. Now... What's God doing in this? Go to verse 19. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God's, God's saying, listen, I'm not invisible to you. I'm plain to you. Um, by the way, the term known there is the Greek term gnosis, which means known by my mind. Not faith, but known by my mind. 
So in other words, he's saying through your mind, you ought to be able to see that I am present in creation. And he goes on to say, because I've shown it to you. I've shown you my invisible attributes, my eternal power, and my divine nature. They should be clearly perceived by you. Um, it's, it's me when I'm talking to somebody and, and I want to say to them, if you just look at the sun, just, just that one thing, just the sun, and you see this, this ball of, of, of atomic energy that doesn't run out, that is positioned in the exact place it needs to be to keep the earth warm, right? It's, it's distant is not like a, an accident. I mean, just move it, move it, move it 100 miles away from where it is. And we start to freeze. Global warming goes away, right? Push it a little bit closer, and guess what happens? We burn up. Like, so this is all just like by accident. It should be plain to you to see that there is a God, right? Study the human eye, just the eye. And say, tell me, oh, yeah, this, this thing, it grew out of a glob of, of protein. Really? It should be plain to you. This is God going, listen, I, you should be at least able to know. You, you might not have faith, but you should know that I am present in my creation. Right? It screams out to you. I exist. And yet, what do we have? We have men who are suppressing the truth. I don't want you to exist. If you exist, it means, uh-oh, maybe I'm in trouble. If you exist, it means, uh-oh, I can't live the way I want to live. And so instead, we make up stories. And this is, this is the most interesting part of this whole thing. He says, It should be clear to them since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Now look at these last words. So that they are, your translation say it this way, without excuse. Is that what yours says? So that they are without excuse. This is what's interesting to me. The term without excuse here is anapologite. And um, in the middle of that is this word logos, which means word, right? So if I go anapologitus, what I'm saying is that I have no word to stand on. I have no word to stand on. I kind of think about what he's saying. You have the ability to know that I'm God through my creation. You die. And you, you, you're now standing before a, a, a God of, whoop, here's another bad word, judgment. And he is. And you say to that God, well, yeah, no, I didn't believe in you during my lifetime, but you know what? It's not my fault. I, I, I can't be blamed for that. It's, it's your church's fault. It's, in fact, Pastor Luke's fault. The guy can't speak worth the darn, and so it's, it's his fault. No. You and I, when we die, we stand on a word. It's the word that John describes in the beginning of his gospel when he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We stand on Jesus Christ. We have a word to stand on. When I stand before God, in the seat of judgment, I don't say to him, man, I was really good. Hey, I was a pastor. No, I say to him, by all rights, you should destroy me. I should be in hell. But I stand on this word, Jesus Christ. And through him, his sacrifice made on my behalf, I, I stand in your grace. That's all we have to stand on. 
And so he's literally saying that when a person dies outside of faith, outside of faith in Jesus Christ, having, even having the ability to know there is a God, I now stand with no words to speak. I stand in judgment. And so what Paul is, is trying to communicate to the church of Jesus Christ, remember this is a letter written to the church who has to go out into the culture. And so what Paul is trying to communicate to the church is, listen, what I'm telling you is you're going out into Rome and this is a matter of life and death. And when you look at the culture and what's going on here, people are pushing, pushing God away. And I'm going to get real specific now. I'm going to show you in a very specific way how that's impacting relationships in Rome. Continue on. Verse 21. For although they knew God, again, gnosis, had, had knowledge, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? There's some, there's some, some kind of depth underneath a few of these words that I want to pull out for you. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him. Okay? So the word here is, although they knew God, gnosis, mind, I know there's a God, they did not honor or glorify Him. Okay? The actual term that's used here is the word doxa. So we get our word doxology from it. Praise God from whom all blessings come. Right? In the Greek, as you're reading through your English Bible, and you're reading this in your English Bible, every time you see the word doxa, a little light switch should go on. Here's what it means. The presence of God. God is present. So when, when we say something like, hey, the glory of God, what we're saying is God is present. For me to say they did not, they did not honor God, or they did not glorify God, what I'm saying is they don't recognize this presence. I don't recognize you being present. And it kind of made me stop for a minute and think about this. Um, do I recognize his presence? Do you recognize his presence? Um, I'm reading, I've been reading uh, uh, along with, with Brother Bill um, some, some thoughts from a guy by the name of Richard Rohr. <clears throat> and Richard... I call him one of my favorite heretics because he uh, he has some heretical things, but he, within his writing is some really good stuff, some really good stuff to pluck out and to apply to your life. He's he's in the line. He's Catholic, and his his line of thinking tends to be in accord with the mystics, the old mystics. And uh, he thinks a little bit about as you get as you get ready for a day, do you recognize the presence of God? Are you thinking about, how is God in my life? What's happening in my life? Luther talked about this a lot. And he used three words to kind of point people in a direction. Uh, and the words are, Arashio, Meditatio, Tentatio. And the way Luther thought about this, he'd say, is you think about life, we're, we're in need of oratio, oration, the, the words. We need to hear the word of God. Uh, so where in your day is that time set aside for the hearing of the Word of God? Where do you hear it? I don't mean just like speed read through it. I mean, where do you hear it? And what, what Roar and some of the, 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 the Catholic mystics would say is, you, you have to stop. You have to listen to it, right? And that's the second word that Luther would use. Meditatio means meditate. 
right? And uh, this is very different kind of meditation than the Eastern form of meditation that that uses, you know, words that actually I think take you in a different direction than God wants you to go. It's actually using the Word of God. It's taking this word, and I think I'm going to think on these words of God. It's what David did, literally, three times a day: morning, lunch, evening. David, as the king of Israel, would say, "I'm going to hear, but not just hear it. I want it in me. I want God's word." In me. And then this last word that Luther would use is tentatio. And it's, it's the, the word that we use in English for tension. And what he's literally saying is you're going to hear this word and it's going to call you to a way of life that's in tension with the world. It's pushing back against the world. And it's hard. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ shouldn't be easy. Uh, the, the multitude of churches in our world today that are, are getting up this morning trying to paint a picture of you follow Jesus Christ and your life is going to be tremendous and you're going to get wealthy and, you know, your relationship. I'm like, that is the opposite of reality. The reality is I hear this world, this word, and there's a tension in me because I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to live that way. You're, what are you calling me to, God? What did you say you wanted me to do? I don't want to do that. There's a tension there. There should be. Our old Adam is at war with this word of God that's not just coming into my ears, it's coming into my heart. And I stop and I think, oh man, what am I going to do about that? For me personally, just on a personal note, this is what it seems like. All right? It seems a little bit like this. Did you feel that? Yes. Barely. Right? That's kind of how it is for me. I'm kind of going along with my life, and then all of a sudden I'm reading this Word of God, and it's almost like the Spirit of God goes, not hard, just soft. And a lot of times I'm like, what, 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 do, you, what do you want? And uh, the Spirit's like, I, I would like your attention. Yeah, well, maybe later. I got all these things to do. Well, then it, then it starts to be a little bit like this. Feel that? Yeah, a little bit harder. Then I'm like, hey, hey, what, what, what are we doing? And I, I can't tell you how many times the Spirit will say to me, we need to deal with this in your life. I'm like, oh, man, not that. But it's true. And I think, oh, well, I've actually said it out loud to the Spirit of God before. I'm like, how long do you think this one will take? And you can almost hear God laughing like, a oh, while. Wow, you're pretty stubborn. And it's true. I am. Our old man is. And so, tentatio means there's a tension in me. I don't want to live the way God calls me to. There's a tension as I go out into the world because now I'm having to live different than the world calls me to. All of that ties into this word right here, doxa. Do you recognize the presence of God in your life? And the, the reality is, Romans isn't meant just to point to the culture and say the culture is all bad. It also does this. How are you doing with this? Are you, are you walking with God? Is there a time in your life where you let him speak into you? Do you recognize his presence in what you're doing? Is he, is he speaking into you? Are you giving him that time for that tension that should be a part of what it means to, to live inside of him? Is all of that true for you? Because church, before you go out into that world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's got to be in you. 
And until it's in you, there's no way you can go out into the world and make any difference whatsoever. And so the church is constantly challenged not to just go to church, but to be a body of people that is practicing what it means to give God this room in our life in an in-depth, right, Bill, way that says, oh, Luke, you're, you're a mess here, buddy. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right about that. And now God says, we're going to have some tension. We're going to we're gonna have a little war here. And you pray God wins the war. Put to death that longing or desire inside of me because the more I push back, the more I push back, the more calloused I become. And this is all that Paul's trying to say is, here's what's happening as you go out into Rome is these, you've got people that are pushing back against God to the point that they, they have no word to stand on. There's no faith there. They don't recognize the presence of God. And now what starts to happen is their, their thinking becomes futile and their foolish hearts become darkened. Their foolish hearts. Foolish, of course, means what? Apart from God. There are hearts that are apart from God. Heart being the center of our being. Light can't get in there. The word can't get in there. Because you're pushing back and pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. And this is what you're going to run into, uh, not just in the world, but in our own lives. We try to push back and push back and push back against God. And we say, no, Lord, let your light come through. Give me this time where, where in that tension you put to death those things in me that need to die. They become futile in their thinking. Their thinking is no longer um, in line with, with God's. Verse 22 says, claiming to be wise, claiming to have wisdom, um, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Okay, so um, this is a key term that we'll see uh, here in, in chapter 1 and I think very relevant for our, our, our day today is um, as I push against, against God, there's still a need inside of me uh, for, for purpose, for meaning, for hope. Uh, and, and there's a sense in which all of us are born with a, a need for, for God. And so what's happening is instead of letting God be God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exchange. I'm going to make an exchange here. I'm going to instead take hold of things that I can control or things that have no control over me. And of course, um, in this particular culture, uh, we're talking when we talk about images of, of mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. We're talking about some of the the the, God, the images of gods from from that period of time that resemble creation. So what does God do with this? This is where it gets to me very serious. Verse twenty four says. So so what God does is He gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served instead the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is where it gets pretty serious to me. What starts to happen is this. Wrath has as its purpose redemption and restoration. That's its purpose. So when God's wrath is revealed in my life, 
I might want to push it back, but that's my normal response. The Spirit instead says, look at this. What it, what's happening is God is, is causing this pain in your life because he wants you to come back. He wants to redeem you. He wants to buy you back. He wants to restore you to what is right, a relationship with him. That's its purpose. Okay. Now, I, I would suggest that's a part of God's love. I, it's fundamentally a part of his love. If God were not, if he did not have wrath, then he's a God of hate because he hands me over to what? To hell. If, God, if God's sitting up in heaven and says, ah, you guys just live whatever way you want to live, and I'm, I'm not wrathful, I'm just, I'm, I love her, I just, I'm loving for everybody. That, that God is a God of hate. He hates me. Because he just handed me over to, to death. Part of God's love is, no, I'm going to bring about pain in your life, and it's going to be something that, that I reveal to you, because I want to bring you back. Now that said, look at these words again. Pardokan, God gave them up. Okay, so what's happening is the more I push back and the harder my heart becomes, the more I push back and the harder my heart becomes, there can come a point in time where God hands, hands me over to sin. And I literally become unredeemable. Okay, when is that time? Well, the Bible exclusively suggests that that time occurs with the rejection of the Holy Spirit. Not just a hardening, but now I've pushed the Holy Spirit out of my life. I don't need you. I don't want you. I will be God over my own life. And I, I've come to believe <clears throat> over many years of time that, that it's not as black and white as it seems. You know, that um, there's a sense in which, you know, as you, as you have this Jesus that, that returns and says... Uh, you know, I've come back. There's a sense in which you have this body of people crying out to him, Oh, Lord, Lord. And Jesus looking at them saying, Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know you. So the, the, those indivi there are individuals who would say, No, I'm, I'm part of the church. I know God. But they don't. They, they, they pushed God out of their life. There is no faith any longer. And so what I'm saying to you is the, the reason that you get concerned with ongoing unrepentant sin, okay, ongoing unrepentant sin, is because that, that's a way of life that just pushes back and pushes back and pushes back. And when does that person reach this point? We don't know. But when do they reach this point where, where the purpose of wrath is, is no longer present? Now God is gave them up to, hand you over to this sin. And you're no longer redeemable. You're not a redeemable creature any longer. Okay? And I've said many times in this class, we, we don't know when that moment occurs in a person's life, nor should we. That's, that's, that's for God to know. What we have to know is, this is serious stuff. And it's why Paul's putting this in front of the church, is, church, you do this yourselves. So... Let me into your life so that you can go out into a culture where it's gotten to the point of people exchanging their worship of me for the worship of idols. It's got to a point where people now have begun to ex exchange their their lifestyle uh, for, the, for the lifestyle that I've called them to, a lifestyle of unrighteousness for a lifestyle of righteousness. And what can happen is 
if, if apart from the gospel, people can become unredeemable. And so, I don't, I don't know if we believe this as a church. We don't seem to act like it. But if I really believe this to be the case, it causes me to have to say, look, I can't be ashamed of the gospel. I can't be meek and mild. I have to figure out a way to initiate conversations with human beings who are in peril. They're in trouble. Because what I, what I, ha- what I tend to believe is the church will read this stuff and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's about all these people out there. And yet the church, I think, has gotten to a place in, in America today where somehow we've kind of fallen into this idea that, oh, yeah, maybe God's not that wrathful. You know, yeah, no, maybe God does love everyone, no matter what. And, and we act as though there's no hell, and there is. And this is what Paul is trying to say is, What's at stake are souls for eternity. And so don't, don't treat this lightly, but understand what's going on in our, our culture today. Let's, let's move, move on a little bit. I want you to see this. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their, I think your Bible says error, the Greek word is planes, means deception, for their deception. Perversion. Actually, planos is deception. Okay. What do we have going on here? Well, there's, there's not a way around this. When you're looking at the Greek term here, krasin means natural sexual functions. Okay. So I have had people read this in the past, like, ah, they're not really talking about sexuality. They're talking about something else. I'm like, no, they're talking about natural sexual functions. That's what we're talking about. So if we put a name to it, we're talking about homosexuality being practiced. We know it's part of Roman, Roman culture. Though, though the, the Romans, as a general rule, were opposed to homosexuality. They, they didn't just open up their arms to it. They were opposed to it. Uh, it's a virtuous nation in many respects. It simply became more and more and more Unrighteous, Rome did. And so what is God doing? He's saying, well, look, I'm handing you over to it. Unredeemable. I'm going to hand it over to you, and you will receive inside of your own bodies a due penalty for your perversion, for your, for your planos, for your deception. Okay. And now I'll catch this next part. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is the best way I can describe a debased mind. A debased mind means a, a base mind. It's, it's an animal mind. It's the same mind my dog has. My dog doesn't recognize God at all. Never will. 
tried to teach him the Ten Commandments, too. He, didn't, he, didn't, he, can't, he can't even get that, right? You have an animal mind. And so what he's saying is you have human beings created in the image of God for Jesus Christ, for eternity, who now have done what? We've exchanged all of that for what? For what we want. And so God says, I'm going to hand you over to that. And now your mind is, functions like a beast's. You want what you want, when you want it, how you want it. That's how you're going to function. And God has now handed, handed people over to that. I'm going to stop for just a minute. I'm going to try to answer this question because I think it's a really, it's a burning question that uh, I've been asked so many times is, Pastor Luke, how, how could someone read this like Romans and say to, to me, um, yeah, they're not really talking about homosexuality. That's not what this is talking about. Because, quite honestly, I've had multiple conversations with people who are practicing homosexuals uh, who would say to me, no, 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 that, this, that's, this is not about homosexuality. How, how could you read? Does this seem to be unplain to you? Does this seem to not be very clear to you? How could you, could you read these words and say, yeah, no, that's, this is not about that? Here, here's how, okay? A couple of ways you can get there. And it, I think this demonstrates the subtlety of deception in our culture today. One thing you could do is you could say, well, yeah, but the Bible actually isn't written by God. It's written by men. And it's culturally, right, it's culturally uh, impacted by the culture of that time. And so the men who wrote this were what? Jews. And if we go back and we study Jewish culture, Jewish culture was opposed to homosexuality to the point that they created laws that said if somebody's a homosexual, you're going to form a circle, put them outside the circle and kill them. Did they do that? They did that. Levitical law did that. It actually said, all right, you have a practicing homosexual inside of the Jewish culture. We're going to take that person. We're going to stone them to death. That's why a lot of people go, I don't, I'm not going to be one of you, you crazy Christian people with a Bible where they're stoning home. What a kind of a God is that? A God of love. Doesn't sound very loving to me. Nor does wrath, right? But let me tell you what God is doing is he's called Israel to be his community, to take the gospel into the world. And anything that corrupts Israel's ability to do that, God is going to punish that. doesn't mean that that person in the circle being stoned can't repent. They could. And have life forever. They could. It's still a possibility, right? But God's saying, no, we're not going to have that in our culture here because Israel, you're too important to me. In the New Testament, we don't stone homosexuals, Right? That, that law is completed in Jesus Christ. We've moved into what we call the New Testament era. We live, we live under the law of Jesus Christ today, of grace. But still, what is God saying here? He's saying, okay, look, when you, when you have people who are practicing a way of life outside of my way of life, you, the, what, souls, souls are in danger, right? So one way to get around that is I just look at this and I'm like, well, here's what's going on. The Jews were obviously homophobic. They killed homosexuals. Therefore, this, this word written by Jewish men isn't valid for us today. That's one way around it. Way number two around it. I can look at these words and I can say to you, well, what this is actually describing is not homosexuality. 
what it's describing is the rampant practice of any kind of sexuality outside of a committed relationship. So in other words, somebody says to me, yeah, these people here that are consumed with passion, men committing shameless acts, there were homosexuals who had committed relationships, and those aren't shameful. And they they loved each other. And, And so as long as you are in a committed relationship with another person, that's good. Whether it's, whether it's with an, uh, a man with a man, a woman with a woman, a man with a woman, doesn't matter. just has to be a committed relationship in, in God. And so a large part of, of our church community to this day will say, well, we're not going to throw the Bible out and we're not going to blame it on, on Jewish you know, homophobia. What we're just going to say is, yeah, this is all right and good, but what it's applying to is people who are, are practicing uh, sex outside of committed relationships. Okay, so that's a second way to kind of get around what the scripture is saying. Here's what I want to say to you. There's no way around it. The only way you try to find a way around it is because I don't want God to be God in my life. I don't want you or anyone else telling me what's right and what's wrong. And so what continues to happen to this day is this right here. Hardening and wrath. And wrath is love. Because it's a God saying, no, no, don't stay there. If you stay there, it's just this can destroy you, not just physically, but your soul for eternity. And so what God is saying to his church is, you're going out in a culture where this is what's happening. These exchanges are going on. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's what you see being practiced. And as he moves on, he will get into what it means for human beings to have an animal mind, a debased mind. And we'll pick up with that uh, next week. By the way, if you have uh, questions that you want to submit, I had a couple of people submit some questions around the, the, the issue of obedience. We'll come back to that because it's central to Romans. What is obedience? Um, we'll come back to that. But if you do have questions, never hesitate to, to push them my way and we'll, we'll take those on um, as, as we get to, to points along the way where, where it fits. Let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, continue on into the day, we ask that you be with us. What a, what a culture we live in today, but it's, it's too easy to just point our finger. And the reality is, until we're strong as the church, how do we impact this culture? Lord, I like these words. Horatio, help us hear your word each day. Meditatio, not just with our ears, but in our hearts. Tentatio. There's tension. There's tension. As I go out in a world and I try to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Super Bowl.